Are you ready? Because it's time to talk at T's Talk Time. Hi, everyone, and welcome to another episode of T's Talk Time. Yes, I'm your host, Teresa Smith, and today's episode title is An Interview with Barbara Ann Mojica. She is an author, educator, historian, and parent. She provides tools to inspire, entertain, and educate youth. Barbara's education career spans more than 40 years serving as a teacher, special educator, principal, and school district administrator. Using the whimsical Little Miss History character to narrate her book series, she makes learning history a fun-filled adventure for children. So please help me welcome to Tea's Talk Time, Miss Barbara Ann Mojica. Welcome, Barbara. Hi, T. Thank you so much for inviting me. You're quite welcome. So let's get right into the questions, Barbara. The first question is, how did your journey as an author begin? Well, my journey as an author began kind of late in life. I started to write after I retired from a 40-year career in education. Not that I hadn't been writing before because as a historian and uh, an English minor, in history major, I was always writing papers, but they were, of course, a different kind of writing. So in, now I've switched instead of more formal academic, I'm writing books for children. I'm still educating and I'm still hopefully entertaining them, but my focus is now on children. So I've had to learn to cut down my number of words. In fact, one of my college professors once said that my style tended to be turgid and sometimes bombastic, which certainly is not something <laughs> you would want to be with uh, children. So I have had to really narrow down my focus, which means getting all of my material and consolidating it into the clearest and most concise format that I could possibly get it into. And most people out there would think that's easy to do, but I think it's rather difficult to do, you know, for adults because We've developed, we've gone along in our development so far, and we've gravitated toward um, larger vocabulary, if you will. And not that you don't want children to learn some of that large vocabulary, but you do. You have to bring everything down to their level, especially if you're talking about children on the elementary level. You have to really bring it down so that yes. they can understand it. Well, what I do is I try to make my books uh, appropriate for a lot of different levels. So my audience is generally a K to six audience, but I always want children to grow and expand their vocabulary. So I do include in most of my books a glossary. So any of the terms that might be a little bit more difficult, I have those in the glossary as well. I but you're right, it is really hard to cut down the number of words. Although my books are picture books mm -hmm. and the illustrations do a lot of the explaining and the elaborating and elucidating, as you will, the, mm -hmm. the points, still picture books are generally between 500 and 750 words. So that's pretty tough. And that's a big part of my writing process. I have to edit and rewrite and rewrite and rewrite. So 
generally I will rewrite a book between 10 and 12 times until I have all of the information I want in as concise a format as possible. Wow, that's a lot of work. So next question. What is the title of your favorite childhood book? Since you're writing for children now, this is a trivia type question. <laughs> um, I always want to know what is a person's favorite, what was a person's favorite book when they were a child? Oh, I had a lot of favorites, but my first books were golden books. Mm -hmm. those little golden books mm -hmm. and I remember I loved Bambi mm -hmm. I loved Bambi and because I grew up living in the city I really had never seen a deer <laughs> in person so that really appealed to me I liked animal stories I, I it, Bambi was my favorite but I also liked Dumbo and I liked the 101 Dalmatians and later as I got older uh, with a chapter book I loved Black Beauty that was one of my favorites okay. as well so Disney would love you <laughs> <laughs> you I think you loved all of the books that they made into films <laughs> so that's, that's awesome. true they were they were right? all they were made very into good films. books though very good books. Now, the opposite question. What is the title of your favorite book as an adult now that you've grown as a reader? Oh, uh, again, I love to read. So <laughs> that is a toughie. One of my favorites is a series. Uh, I love the Gene Oil books, okay. uh, the prehistoric historical fiction books. Uh, the Mammoth Hunter, the Valley Valley of the Hunters, the Clan of the Cave Bear. Uh, I love that whole series. And if you've ever seen one of those books, you know how long they are. <laughs> they are the exact opposite of what I write. So they're probably over a thousand pages each. And a long book doesn't deter me. Uh, I, you know, when I get in... I, into a book, the more I can find out about the culture and the characters mm -hmm. and the, the setting with the art and the music and everything. So that's what appeals to me in a series like that. It's usually a book about uh, a different kind of culture, a different kind of people, a different kind, maybe even a different kind of mindset. Okay. Very interesting. Um, next question. What inspires you to write? Not to read. Might be the same thing, to write. What inspires me to what write? What is the catalyst? Or there can be different ones. Well, my reason for writing the particular book series that I'm engaged in right now is I want children to learn history and not as a subject in the sense of the way it used to mm -hmm. be taught in school where you read the paragraph mm -hmm. you give back the information mm -hmm. in the form of dates and events and times but i want to make learning about history fun for kids and i do that by using a character to narrate my stories and the character is a cartoon-like character who, coincidentally, is a younger version of myself. The illustrator, who happens to be my husband, it, no, and who knows me very well, took a composite of some of the things that were important to me when I was a teenager or a young adult. So I love to hike and I love to explore and I always wanted to travel. So I'm wearing kind of a hiker or park ranger outfit as, as the uh, character. And I have 
hiking boots that are very, very big. They're oversized because that's in memory of my father who had very, very big feet mm -hmm. and who incidentally was a great storyteller. My father mm -hmm. loved to tell stories. And then she wears these pigtails, which I used to wear, and she has these big, oversized, rose-colored glasses. And that reflects, hopefully, an optimistic view of the world or looking on the bright side of things. So she kind of takes the, the child and puts them in the mindset of being a younger person who is in the books and guiding them, helping them. So I want to put the child in the book. Mm -hmm. And I do that by using this character, by using photography and multimedia. So there is photography, there are hand-drawn portraits of the characters in the books. And I try to include information that's not very well widely known and that exposes children to people that maybe they have never heard of. Maybe their parents or grandparents who are reading them the book have never even heard of. And I ask them throughout my books interactive questions and I want their opinions and I want them to think about some of the problems that are brought up in my books. Awesome, awesome. Next question, how do you resolve issues authors face such as writer's block or do you ever get writer's block when you're creating? I don't ever get writer's block because I think the main reason is because I'm writing nonfiction. So my approach is first to do research. I decide on a topic or a place or maybe even an event or an incident that I think is very important that children would like to learn about and often is connected to a topic that may be timely or or very pertinent at the time. So that's my first step deciding on the topic. Then I visit the place in most cases, except certain instances like the North Pole. I have a book on the North Pole and I haven't been there. But in most cases, I will visit the site if it's if it's a historical site or wherever it might be. Uh, one of my books is an archaeological site, the La Brea Tar Pits. Sometimes it's a museum like Intrepid Sea, Air and Space Museum, or it might be someplace like Ellis Island or the Statue of Liberty or it could even be a theater like Ford's Theater. But I visit, we take pictures, photographs, and bring them back. Then the book is uh, edited, edited, edited. We eventually get to the illustration stage where we're going to combine my text with the illustrations and the photography. And then once that is done, the book is laid out. And from there, uh, I do the normal research that any author does, uh, researching the categories the book needs to be put into, the book description, the keywords that will help readers identify and find the book. All of those things uh, are, are also done and you have to plan all of that ahead of time. Yes. But like you said, maybe um, writing, uh, nonfiction would not give you writer's block because you choose your topic and you zoom in on it. Whereas fiction, you're, you're more using your imagination as you go along and you're creating like almost a new world sometime as you go along. Yes. So that was interesting as well. We already answered this question, so I'm not going to repeat it because I was going to which genres do you write in? It's nonfiction, it's history, but not only history, because all of my books, I, I think I alluded to this before a little bit, include other related areas of interest. So my books might be about the environment, mm -hmm. 
I have a book on Mount Rushmore. I talk about uh, the uh, environment and how the Native Americans are building their own monument nearby. Mm -hmm. uh, because that land was originally Lakota Sioux land that was taken and never returned to them. I have books like the uh, Ford's Theater book where I talk about literature. I talk all about the theater and how Ford's Theater was cursed and how it fell into disrepair, how some of the people who were at the assassination of Lincoln are not ever mentioned in history. We talk about them. I talk about things like how the night before Christmas may not have been written by Samuel Clement Moore, but it may have been written by Robert Livingston instead. When I talk about Sequoia National Park, I'm talking about this beautiful national park, the redwood trees and the sequoia trees. I talk a lot about science and how the trees grow and uh, what the animals are in the region. The North Pole book talks a lot about geography, the Arctic, the environment, the wildlife. And uh, or I also talk sometimes um, about uh, military history. I have books on the battleship Iowa and the Intrepid Sea Air and Space Museum. And with those books, I cover multiple periods of time because they were involved in conflicts uh, from World War II up until some of the Cold War and modern times, Vietnam. Uh, on the Intrepid, you even have one of the space shuttles and the visitors there can actually climb into them, experience what life was life on the ship, see the space capsule. They can look at the planes that are on the flight deck that participated in World War One and Two. So it's a very uh, multi-sensory experience. And uh, it'll, I, I talk about a lot of different disciplines besides history. We're talking about art, we're talking about archeology, span science, environment, the military uh, and cultures because immigrant, uh, immigrants are very much in the news today. And Ellis Island and the Statue of Liberty talk mm -hmm. about the first immigrants to our country. Mm -hmm. So that's, that's an example of a very timely topic right now. You know, and what I found to um, piggyback on what you're saying is when I was teaching, I actually taught elementary level and the expository texts in some ways are always connected anyway. Like science, you, you can't have science without history. You can't have art without history. It's like they're all meshed together in one way or another. They're connected. And everything in the, everything has a history. Yes, everything. There's a history of music, a history of art, exactly. a history of uh, evolution and science. They're connected. So uh, the moment we're born, I believe we become characters in history and yes. history is a part of all of us. It's true. Wrap, all, all of our memories are wrapped up in history because they started before us. Yeah. We're living them now and they will continue beyond us in, in our families as, as we go forward. Yes. Next question or two, <laughs> a big business one. Why did you choose this particular genre, even though it touches upon others, to write in? And are you planning to explore writing in other genres in the future? What I mean by that, um, are you ever going to write um, something under, that's under the fiction genre in the future? Or do you want to continue sticking to history and pulling in the other subjects? Even though Little Miss History was based on you as a child or a young adult, she's kind of like a fictional character too with some of the things she probably does in the book. Am I right? Like, this, when you were a child, for example, it's not totally autobiographical, is what I'm saying. No, it's not totally autobiographical. I always wanted to travel. Mm 
-hmm. And that was something that I didn't do as a child because my parents didn't have a lot of extra money for traveling. And I didn't even have a car in our family. So we didn't go a lot of places. Uh, we lived in a city, so we were able to get around, mm -hmm. uh, but we weren't able to go very far. So I think that was one of the reasons that, you know, fostered such a curiosity mm -hmm. about history because I wanted to see the places where people explored and I wanted to see different cultures and, and experience uh, different lifestyles. I think that was a big influence in, in my interest in it. But will I ever write fiction? I don't know. I do a lot of teaching uh, of other subjects. I still do teaching. Uh, I do a lot of videos for children and for adults on, on YouTube. But will I ever actually write maybe historical fiction? I could see perhaps maybe going in that direction someday. Um, what is your favorite genre? I, I do love to read about history, mm -hmm. but I also enjoy reading kind of an adventure type books. So I do enjoy legal history stories or le courtroom dramas. Okay. I like so, sometimes I like a Stephen King type of book, mm -hmm. uh, you know, and or a detective story uh, that sometimes interests me. So I've read a lot of uh, James Patterson and John Grisham and mm -hmm. those kind of books as, as well. Right now, my main focus in reading is reading what I call family friendly books. Okay. because I do a lot of book reviews on my blog. So I give parents and teachers suggestions as to different types of books uh, that are good for uh, children with various types of interests. So most of my reading right now is geared toward my blog and reviewing books. Okay. So I don't have a, as much time as I used to to do a lot of independent adult type of reading. So um, how many books have you written and what are the titles of your books? Also, tell us a tad about each one. I kind of feel you answered that somewhat already, not completely, but now you get a chance to tell our audience the titles of your books. Okay, well, okay, there are 13 individual books, Little Miss History Travels to, uh, the Mount Rushmore, Statue of Liberty, Sequoia National Park, Ford's Theater, Intrepid Sea Air and Space Museum, Ellis Island, George Washington's home at Mount Vernon, La Brea Tar Pits and Museum, the North Pole, FDR's home and presidential museum at Hyde Park, Tombstone, Arizona, a mining town and the history of Tombstone, Arizona, the Wild West, Independence Hall and the Museum of the American Revolution, and the Battleship Iowa. I am working on a book about Thomas's, Thomas Jefferson and his home at Mount Vernon, and I have several other in books in the works. I do have a coloring book also, Little Miss History's coloring book. That is not a traditional coloring book. It's more of a book with portraits of characters of my books and also famous quotes. So I have famous quotes from historical characters as well. And then I have one trilogy book, which uh, it was done mostly for teachers uh, in New York who requested me to do that. So that has my three New York City books in one volume, Adventures of Little Miss History. And she goes to uh, the Statue of Liberty, Ellis Island and Intrepid Sierra and Space Museum. Wow. 
you are renowned as an author. <laughs> um, so at this point, I wanted to discuss with you one of your books that I had the opportunity to read. The book called Little Miss History Travels to Mount Vernon. And um, I wanted to tell you a little bit about what I thought uh, of the book. And then I'm gonna follow up with another question after that. So seeing as though I'm a teacher, I take notes when I read. Oh, Sorry. <laughs> of course. So I wanna to refer to my notes. Um, what I felt when I read the book, when I flipped into the first pages of the book, I really liked the intro and how it gives you the background on the fact that she was very inquisitive about traveling as a child. So she starts to travel by all sorts of transportation and gets nicknamed Little Miss History. I thought that was really nice, the way you started off with the introduction. And then the way you use, like you said, the mixed media. Not a lot of books do this, I don't think. Like mostly if you have illustrations, it's just straight illustrations. Or if you have photographs, it's straight photographs all the way through the book. But the idea of your husband and yourself getting together with photographs and illustrations, I thought that was very unique. And I really loved that effect to your books. Then I focused in on the portion of the book where some of the images became faded to show that they, this happened in the past, you know? And I thought that was kind of cool because it's like almost like the, the ghosts of the past. Right, yeah, especially that was the approach taken with this book that all of all of those images were always there though mm -hmm. they're no longer there because in mm -hmm. some of my books the site hasn't changed nearly as much right but but um that was the approach that the illustrator took to this one there's always some kind of unique background to mm -hmm. each book mm -hmm. uh in independence hall it's kind of a background of the Declaration of Independence, mm -hmm. uh, and um, in in some of the books, it's a, a a background of an image from the site, but it's always something to keep reminding the child of something that's very very important to the site in the past, and mm -hmm. something that we need to think about still today. And I wondered. I, I kind of wondered about this, but then I kind of felt that I figured it out myself, that the slaves were um, kind of faded images, but George Washington wasn't. And he's also from the past, but it's because he's the prominent figure in the book. He's like the main character, if you will, of the book. So the images of the slaves were faded out, but George Washington's um, illustrations were very prominent in the book well we don't know what most of the slaves looked like mm -hmm. so the effect was uh supposed to be that the slaves were always there they were the heart and soul mm -hmm. of the plantation mm -hmm. and uh we don't know it what they actually look like but they were key they were actually perhaps just as important as George Washington, but their role isn't always remembered or acknowledged. Uh, that, the, and some, there are a few portraits of what, when we know, when there was some historical evidence of what some of the people look like, they are drawn to look like those actual people. So sometimes, the illustrator will take an existing image that uh, of that person and draw it that way. And the the artwork that is drawn and not photographed is largely almost all of it is hand drawn. So they are not computer drawn. They are hand drawn. I so that's why they're so um, accurate and and close to detail. 
Okay. Um, I also wanted to say there were some things I learned from reading the book. Even though it's a children's book, adults could learn something from your, your books. Because I, I learned that Washington entertained a lot. I didn't know that. Um, and then the, the line where it said he supposedly didn't mistreat the slaves, but would not free them until his death. That I didn't know either. And um, what I liked at the end was that your book set the reader up for the next big adventure. Like um, in this particular book, in the afterword, um, it was telling you about ongoing adventures and other books that they could get in the series. Just like your, um, your virtual background, I have to say, is awesome. <laughs> so yes, some of, some of the book covers. That's what I'm saying. Even if you, if you had forgotten one of the 13, all you had to do was look behind you on the screen and you would have seen the titles there. So I think that's awesome too. And to go back to the other question, since you're a historian, I was just curious about um, how much of this book um, is like your real life as the character Little Miss History? Not that you're going to tell me everything, but you know, I'm just curious. And <laughs> the other question, go, the other question is after you answer that, do you feel since your book dealt with the subject of slavery, which there's a big controversy about right now in education and in the political arena. Do you feel more harsh realities of slavery should be taught in school, i.e. critical race theory? When you're done with the first question. Okay, first, the first question, how much have I liked Little Miss History yes. very much. I'm still, I was one of these people who not only like to travel, but push the envelope with traveling. Mm -hmm. I took a trip to the Soviet Union and communist countries mm -hmm. when they first opened up to the West. Okay. And uh, so we're talking about the 70s and it was a very, very, um, some people thought a crazy thing to do because they were in control of the itinerary. You had to stay in a tourist hotel. Sure. You were forbidden to really interact with the people. Mm -hmm. Even if people came up to you and, and tried, people would try to buy things. Like they would ask you, do you have any jeans? Do you have any pantyhose? Do you have any? Because at that time they couldn't get Western goods. Mm -hmm. And I went to other countries. I went to Poland. I went to Czechoslovakia. I, I, um, I went to Hungary and the Berlin. When I went through Checkpoint Charlie when the wall was still up and uh, we were kept there for two hours because we were on an American tour bus. But it was it was a very interesting experience. I also went to China. I've been to communist China. Mm -hmm. So I, I go, you know, I don't just take the normal tours like the Caribbean cruise. <laughs> I tend I tend to be a little bit like Little Miss History, like, okay, I'm going to go, you know, I'm going to go in there and I'm going to find out what's going on. Um, so, um, yeah, I'm still very much like her. Uh, and uh, if my husband didn't restrain me, I'd probably do some more things that were a little bit on the more risk side. <laughs> but he's not as much of a risk taker as I am. Uh, the other question about um, education today. So critical race theory, um, uh, I'm against it because it divides us. We're, we are all Americans and critical race theory really is a form of Marxism. You're instead of dividing by uh, lower class, working class and, and upper class, you're dividing by race and you're telling one group that you're an oppressor mm -hmm. 
and the other group that you're oppressed. Now, what child wants to see himself as an oppressor or one who is a victim who is being oppressed? I think all children should be taught to have empathy for others, no matter what race, what culture. They should have compassion. They should be generous toward each other. They should be willing to see that we are all human, that we all make mistakes. And if we just look at our own families, we can see that there are members of our families that make mistakes. And they are, there are members of our family that may have not been very good people. There are maybe members of our family who have been wonderful, up, upstanding, outstanding uh, individuals. But we all are born with the opportunity to achieve our best selves. And I think that's what should be taught in school. Not that everybody has to have an equal outcome, which is really what critical race theory teaches that everybody should be equal in outcome, not, not that everyone should have an equal opportunity to succeed. And I think that challenge is what makes us grow. The, the ability to see ourselves uh, always growing, expanding, and, and, and becoming a richer, more fuller individual, whether it's in our family, whether it's with our friends, whether it's in our community, or whether it's as part of the larger global network. We all should be pushing ourselves to be the best that we can be. And I think parents also have a responsibility to teach that. Children should be taught that they have responsibilities as citizens, but that they also have rights as citizens, that they should be bold and they should explore their passions and always try to be the best selves they can be and to look at problems and find solutions, not be told that because you are of one race, this is the way things are always going to be, or because you were born into one culture, this means that you have to behave as all the other members of your culture. Okay, regarding your emphasis on history and your writing, what do you think of those who feel history is not her story or not inclusive of all people's history? What I mean by that is, you know how women's rights came late you know, rights of different mm -hmm. uh, cultures and ethnic groups came late in the history of America. And uh, I know that when I was a child, for instance, I don't remember seeing too many images of black children or adults in the books that I was taught to read uh, with in school. So you being a historian and creating books for all children, as you said, um, I wonder how you feel about the people who feel like they're, they're underrepresented maybe still in terms of literature and books and even in history. Well, I'm sure that you'll always find a group thinking that they're underrepresented because I can remember when I was growing up, there weren't a lot of pictures uh, of women in books at all. Uh, and mm -hmm. as far as women's rights, I think that was true pretty much worldwide, not just here in the United States. When you think of someone being oppressed, uh, probably women were one of the most oppressed groups because they didn't even have the right to vote because the slaves had the right to vote uh, a lot earlier than women did. So there's always going to be a group that's uh, oppressed. I think that we've made good progress as far as 
increasing multiculturalism in books today. There are a lot of multicultural, uh, and my books are multicultural because I have a lot. Uh, I have African Americans in my book. I I have people that were never even known in history in my books. Uh, like um, I could think of a few of them, like. Uh, uh, Ruffin Abbott, Anderson Ruffin, uh, who happened to be at Ford's Theater. He, he was on a date with um, Mary Lincoln's maid, Elizabeth Cakeley, who was a Black free woman. She was on a date with the African-American man who happened to be a doctor. And he was at Ford's Theater when Lincoln was shot. And he became a very good friend of the Lincoln family and was even given a shawl by Mary Lincoln from, from, uh, as a gift, which remained in his family for hundreds of, of years after. So there are all kinds of people in history who are sometimes revered in history. People like uh, John Muir, who was called the father of national parks. He had a very interesting history. Uh, not always good. I mean, there were, he ran off uh, during the Civil War so that he wouldn't have to serve in the Civil War and left his poor immigrant parents to work the farm by themselves. I mean, the, you know, so I try to point out that all of us have flaws, mm -hmm. uh, no matter what race, no matter what class we happen to be born in. And we all we are all human. So we might have achieved some wonderful, great things. And we might have had some faults too, like George Washington, again, with slavery. He was part of a system in the South whose economy at that time depended on slavery and wouldn't have existed without it. He knew that it wasn't right, but he thought it was the government's job to solve it, not the individual's job to solve it. And he couldn't foresee solving the problem at that time without destroying the country. And again, he was a, a visionary in the sense that he and the other founding fathers, like Jefferson, who also owned slaves, uh, that they had this vision of a society that would uh, respect the rights of all, they were, they were inspired by philosophers of the Enlightenment uh, with these kinds of ideas like Voltaire and Rousseau. But if these people hadn't happened to come together at that time, we never even would have had that concept of government. You know, we might have remained a monarchy for a hundred years longer. So all of these are complicated situations, the connections of people at the time, what was going on at the time, economics, politics, human humans themselves and and their psychology and what the way they thought. And they all combine to change circumstances. So sometimes there are so many factors going into it. Um, that you can't simplify it and say, well, we just need to do this now. I mean, we could say that women should be compensated for all the years that they weren't able to own property and weren't able to vote. I mean, they could make a similar argument. But again, uh, it, there are so many underlying factors. But I do think that uh, today, almost every type of person is represented in the books uh, that children see and read. And um, for the most part, they can see themselves. Mm -hmm. I review a lot of multicultural books and I see what's out there for children. So I, I do know uh, that it has changed uh, drastically. Okay, and, and you said for yourself, how you fill that gap is by putting lots of different cultures of characters in your books. So that would answer the, the second question. Now, questions about your books and in particular. Have your books been well received? And 
If so, how do you promote your books? Well, my books have been well received by my audience of readers who are aware of them. Mm -hmm. uh, my books are available worldwide and I do have a devoted following of people who really enjoy seeing a new book in the series come out and follow it. Uh, marketing is a problem for almost any author these days, because unless you're with one of the few big publishers, and there are only four or five of them left today, you are going to be doing everything yourself. And even the big publishers no longer do a lot of the work for you. So I, I mentioned before, all of the things an author has to do in planning, you have to learn to uh, uh, find the right market for your book. You have to, you can't target your book to everyone. You have to find the niche audience who is going to be interested in what you write, specifically for a nonfiction author. So uh, you might have an audience that's interested in business or, you know, in my case, it's history and education. But you have to have a, a, a targeted niche. You have to learn how to use social media. You have to learn the right keywords so that when people look for your book online, they're going to be able to find your book. They can buy your book if they don't find your book. And I am in a lot of independent bookstores and I am at some historical sites, but unless you go there, you're not going to know. So you have to do all of this research. You have to make sure that your, your book description tells in a nutshell who your book is going to appeal to. Uh, and you have to learn to work with other authors. I work with a lot of other, you have to see other authors as not as your competition, but as your friends and, and your network. So you find other authors with similar interests and similar writing. They can help you um, do advanced reading of your book. They can help you uh, by networking with you to create opportunities to work together. I, my books have been in all kinds of strange marketing programs. They've been in limousines at the Emmy Awards and the Oscars. Wow. They've been at uh, I, they've been at schools at pajama parties. They've been at science museums, giving a presentation at a science festival, um, all, all kinds of strange, you know, craft fairs, holiday book times, mm -hmm. libraries, it's a little bit more traditional, huge book festivals where hundreds of authors come together. Uh, so, you know, you really have to scout out where your audience is and where are the places uh, that you can find them? And my books have won uh, a lot of awards, which I'm very grateful for. Uh, that's another avenue. You can look for book contests. Uh, so that will get your book out to, uh, if your book is fortunate enough to win an award, you can, again, gain, you know, more uh, recognition, visibility, mm -hmm. more, more visibility for mm -hmm for your particular type mm -hmm. book. Wow, that's some good advice for new authors, which was going to be my next question, by the way. But I think you've given them so much. Well, yeah, I've, I've done that. I've done some videos on my YouTube channel. I have some videos advice for authors, uh, for teachers who would like to write books, for uh, new authors, places where they can uh, look to sell books, and also uh, different practical advice on how to set up uh, different types of venues and, and, you know, just the nitty gritty things that you have to remember when you go someplace to sell your book. So what is the name of your YouTube channel? Uh, just uh, Barbara Mojica's YouTube channel. Uh, when you go to my website, 
the best place to find all of my links is to go to my website, littlemisshistory.com. And on my uh, website, I have a direct link to my YouTube channel, which has all of my videos. There were over 200 of them. There are books, uh, there are videos for children, trivia and teaching videos for adults. There are national park videos. There are uh, history told by kids, for kids, by kids, all kinds of things. I have my blog where you could find my reviews. If you're looking for books for kids, you can find reviews on my blog um, and also advice on my blog, advice for parents, advice for teachers. I have a um, Twitter account. I have a Facebook account. You can click to there. Uh, Pinterest, and that, that's a good place if you need something fast, because I have a huge Pinterest board, and on that, I have books categorized and, and author tips and, you know, links to where you could find them. So my website is the best place. Just go there and you can get anywhere. You can find my books, you can look at them, you can purchase them or read testimonials, uh, and it's all there. And I love um, communicating with people. If I can help parents, teachers, kids, uh, I'm always open, uh, Barbara at littlemisshistory.com, and I always answer all of my emails. Wonderful, Barbara. You've answered all my questions before time. You get an A plus for your interview. Oh, thank you. <laughs> A good report card. <laughs> yeah. And so the last question that I'm going to ask, because you've already told everyone where they can find out more information about your book. Um, the question before that was, are you currently writing a new book? And I think you alluded to that earlier in our conversation. I'm doing Thomas Jefferson's Home at Monticello. And that book is in illustration stage right now. So it will be out in a month or two. Wow. We have so much to look forward to from Barbara. <laughs> we have to get out there and check out her books. Well, I think uh, I'd like to leave people with Little Miss History's motto. If you don't know your history, you don't know what you're talking about. Excellent. Thank you, Barbara, for being a guest on Tea's Talk Time. And Thank you so much for having you. me. And um, we're, we're looking forward to going out and picking up some of your books in the near future. Recently, I had the opportunity to read one of Barbara Ann Mojica's books in the Little Miss History series. In fact, I read the book called Little Miss History Travels to Mount Vernon. It is a very interesting little book to say the least. If you're looking for a way to teach young children about American history, pick up some of Barbara's books. You'll be pleasantly surprised. Thank you. <laughs>